I needed some help up there. So I'm very grateful that they provided more than just some. They did a great job for us. Well, today um, I'm preaching a standalone message. Next week we'll start a new series and, and I'll uh, be on that. But today I'm going to be sharing quite a bit of scripture, but I did not know how not to share this scripture and teach the truth that I believe God laid on my heart to teach. So we're going to the book of Daniel and virtually all of the narrative of the entire second chapter of Daniel is our reference today. Now, I won't read all of J- Daniel chapter 2, but I will read uh, a fair portion of it, and there'll be a a few places where I drop down a few verses, and I'll try to direct you there. So in your Bibles, you can go to Daniel chapter 2. We will also project it on the screen, God willing. And so um, let me read to you Daniel 2, beginning with verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants to dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to me. I'm sorry, conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream. And I will know that you can interpret it for me. And the astrologers answered the king, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asked. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. And men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends and put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. And at this, Daniel went into the king and he asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. And he urged them to plead for mercy from God, from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. We're skipping now down to verse 26. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. We are now going down to verse 46. After Daniel has told the king exactly what he dreamt and told the king what the meaning of the dream was. This is Nebuchadnezzar's response. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel. And he paid him honor and he ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. And as I have done many, many times before. I just want to caution you that sometimes we read the word of God and we we separate ourselves from the fact that this actually happened. This was a historical event. This this is not just documented 
in our records in the scripture, but this can be found if you do some archive digging in the history of the Babylonians that the king issued such a decree. Okay, just so that we are on page. Well, he was almost frantic as he raced around the backyard and he went whizzing by me with a piece of hot dog hanging out of his mouth. He was whimpering, and his whimpering gave way, uh, gave away to me the fact that he was concerned and he was confused. Baron, our little Pomeranian dog, and you may have remembered a story that I told on Baron. Darlene and I, for a while, lived out in the countryside of Delaware, and uh, our house was 800 feet off the road. We had an 800-foot-long driveway, and you could not see a neighbor's house from where we lived. We were back in the boonies, right next to the sunlight pump, I think. You know, we were way back there in the sticks. We loved that place. We had a good time living there. And while we were there, we had a couple of dogs. And Baron was our Pomeranian. And if you're not real familiar with a Pomeranian, they're about the size of a fox and they're super hyper. And, and just lots of, lots of comedy came out of this dog. And so that particular day, poor Baron was, was perplexed, perplexed and upset. We had two dogs. We had a dog that we kept outside. His name was Buddy. He was an outside dog. Loved it outside, hated to be indoors. He was half lab and half um, Siberian husky. He's a big, beautiful, strong dog, and he loved living outside. We had a very nice home for him. We had a real long lead that connected to a run that was probably 150 feet long. He almost had the run of the entire yard, but we had to keep him tied up because he was a wanderer, and he would end up on other people's property, so we had to tie him up. But every day when I came home, I would let Buddy off of his lead. And, and as long as I was in the yard, he'd hang out with me. And so Buddy loved that because Baron had this thing about him. Baron was our inside dog. And as such, he got special privileges that Buddy did not receive all of the time. And one of the things about Baron, I think I told you this before, was that he was pretty convinced that he wasn't a dog but a human being. And so he, des- he thought that he deserved all the things that the human, all the amenities that the human beings of our family had. He was just a child of my wife. That's how he, uh, I believe, was convinced that he lived his life. And Darlene was pretty much leaning toward that too, to be very honest with you. Um, I'm trying not to insult my wife's intelligence, but so often I see her having a one-sided conversation with Baron, talking to him as if he understood every single word that came out of his mouth. Now, some of you are going to come to me and say, you know what, Pastor Ken, they do. They understand every word you say. I'm going to argue with that until the cows come home. I do believe that he understood a lot of the words, but not all of them. All of that said, sometimes when Darlene would have some leftovers, especially hot dogs or something like that, she would save them back and and she would give uh, chunks of hot dog or whatever as a treat to Baron. Well, Baron sometimes would become a glutton. He he I, I don't know if he ever got saved, to be very honest with you, and one of his sins was gluttony. And so what he would do is he would eat so much, but he would still want you know, his treasure. And so what Baron would want to do immediately, he, he had restrictions on him. In our house, we had certain surfaces the dog was allowed to be in on, and there were certain surfaces in our house, all the carpeted areas he was not allowed on, and he knew it, and he didn't go there. He didn't go up on the furniture and all. So when he had his fill, fill of, of what he was eating, what he wanted to do is not leave it in the doggy dish. No, it deserves something better than that. He, he wanted to go outside and he wanted to bury his treasure outside. That was barren. That was just how he was. A weird little dog, very strange. And so what he decided to do that day, he began to beg Darlene to let her out or let him out so he could go bury this hot dog that he had he just couldn't eat. But he was going to save it for later. He had a nemesis outside and I told you his name. His name was Buddy, our big dog. And see, every time I would let Buddy off of his lead, Buddy was ecstatic about that because Buddy would go and he had a great sense of smell he would go out and he would unearth all of Baron's treasures and he would eat them, much to Baron's dismay and disgust and anger. And I don't know how many times I died laughing watching Baron, this little like 10 pound dog, attacking with all that he has, this big 75, 80 pound dog who is oblivious to the attack. He could care less. The dog is biting angrily. He's doing his best to get uh, Baron's attention 
and off of the off of the treasure. And I, I watched this so many times; it was very humorous. Baron did not know, nor did Darlene know, that Buddy had been off the leash. I had come home; I had him outside, and he was running around. So when Baron went whizzing by me, whimpering and upset, it was because he realized that Buzzy, Buddy was off of his lead. And he was saying, what am I going to do with this? I don't want that dog to have it. And he's running around. He's whimpering. And finally, he sees Buddy has unearthed the last treasure that he could find. And now he is making his way over to Baron. Baron looks around frantically. And he set the thing down on the ground. And I think his attempt was to render the hot dog not not consumable for Buddy. So he lifted his leg. And he did what a dog would do. And he marked it all over it. Didn't bother Buddy at all. He ate it anyway. But I remember the confusion and the, and, and the, I could, I could just see the tension on poor little Baron's face. Have you ever been confused? Have you ever been out of time and feeling like you're out of options? Like you just don't know what to do. Have you ever felt desperate for just some really good sound wisdom? If only life was as simple as what to do with a leftover hot dog. Amen. But we have found out in our living that that's not what life is like at all. Those little things are not even a blip on our radar screen. But often we are faced with problems that are far bigger. And there are times when we just face a dilemma. That was what Baron was in. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to dispose of his hot dog. He couldn't eat it. And he didn't want Buddy to have it. Didn't work. But we've been in situations a lot more serious when we have a dilemma. We're not sure what the right thing to do is. In fact, every day we wrestle with life's questions and we try to make the best choices. At least most of us do. But let's also be honest and say sometimes we end up with regrets because we didn't make the right choice. And oh, if we had that way back machine, if we could just go on our way back to that spot and redo. We all would like that redo button. We would all like a machine that would send us back and let us fix things. And some of us are still today dealing with poor, poor personal choices that we made maybe a long time ago. It happens. We've gotten into trouble, and some of us may still be trying to get out of it. We all face dilemmas in life. We all have things sometimes that we create for ourselves. But let's also be honest and give ourselves a little bit of a break and say sometimes these dilemmas just happen. It's not through a fault of our own. We just find ourselves in a situation. We find ourselves in a need for real wisdom. Sometimes stuff happens to us. Sometimes people bring it into our lives. And that happens. Not because we've made a bad choice. It just happened. Can I get a witness to that? That happens to us. Daniel and his friends faced that kind of a dilemma. They hadn't created any problem for themselves. But suddenly they found their lives on the line. It was a serious deal. They were running out of time. And they were running out of options. And it was a pretty serious thing. The decree of the king was was just unimaginably cruel. I mean, for any of them. I can understand why everybody who was known to be a wise man in the kingdom had a little bit of fear in their heart. And Daniel and his friends faced a dilemma. So what do we do when we face dilemmas? Whether we create the problem ourselves or, or we have a dilemma because it just happens. How do we make big decisions? Where do we go to get guidance in making the right kind of decisions? Where do we find answers that aren't just your typical platitudes? You know, those kind of answers. You know, just follow your heart and things like that. Those dumb Disney kind of things. Now, where do we find... Sorry, I might have just insulted half of the congregation here today. I'm talking about wisdom today. Proverbs 3, verses 13 through 18 says of wisdom. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her, and those who laid hold of her will be blessed. Is there anybody else in this room who would say, sign me up for that? 
That's a pretty good life. Sign me up for those kind of blessings. And here's what the scripture is promising. Wisdom. Wisdom gets that to you. So how do we get that? Because one of the things that you're going to hear me say over and over this morning, I'm going to kind of assert to you, it comes from the title of this service and, and this sermon and this message that I'm giving you. I submit to you that wisdom is greater than knowledge. And there is a difference, and we'll look at that. Wisdom is greater than knowledge. I know a lot of people with a lot of knowledge who are absolutely miserable. Amen? You know them too. I know some very bright people, and they, they're tons of knowledge. They could go on Jeopardy and win a lot of money. They're just bright as they can be, but they're absolutely miserable. And I want to say it to you again. You'll hear me repeat this to you. Wisdom is greater than knowledge. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the difference here today. And I want to make, since I'm a pastor, and since you're used to me doing this, I have some observations to make. Want to guess how many? Right, three. So I have three observations because I'm I'm old school pastor. You know, I learned three three points in a poem, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I got my three points today. I want to make just a few observations here. So here's my first observation for you, and I hope that this will enlighten you, and I hope that you'll walk out of here uh, uh, with a little bit of understanding of how we gain such a valuable commodity as wisdom. I would suggest to you first and foremost, and if you hear none of the other points i hope you capture this true wisdom is found in the lord god alone true wisdom comes from the lord god alone looking at verses 10 and 11 of our our scripture narrative we see the shock and the surprise that king nebuchadnezzar's advisors felt when he threw down the gauntlet on them He not only said to them, I want you to interpret my dream, but to be sure that they knew what they were talking about. He said, I want you to tell me what I dreamed. Now, can I just stop for just a second and just throw this out here? This was something I was going to say uh, a a way down the line here, but it'll fit here as well. We're living in 2016 in the United States of America, the greatest country on the face of the earth. And in many ways, way ahead as far as our knowledge base and our capacities with computers and our technology, we have an amazing, amazing world that we live in. Man, whoever dreamed that you have a little device on your car that would tell you exactly where you are and how to get there and, and do it well most of the time. Whoever dreamed of the technology that we carry around in our pockets. These are computers these days and they're amazing. Whoever dreamed that we would live with these kind of things. We have a world full of knowledge but let me say something to you however great our knowledge is there's not enough of it in our country to look into a man's mind and say what he dreamt you know this required more than knowledge this required something that a human being i think if we go another two thousand years we'll never be able to find a dream in a man's mind and and no wonder these poor people were distressed. Now, remember, these, these astrologers and magicians and, and enchanters and that, they, they held their positions in the kingdom partly because they purported to be wiser than anybody else. They said, we're your wise men. We're your advisors. They held these positions because they asserted that theirs were the brightest and best and widest uh, views and minds uh, in the kingdom. After all, they at that time lived in one of the most advanced societies on the planet. They were a group from various fields of study and experience. With all of their alleged wisdom, the king brought them to the edge of themselves where they couldn't do a thing. They couldn't interpret the dream. And in fact, both the advisors and then later in verse 27, even Daniel declared the truth that no man had the kind of wisdom to peer into the mind of a man and tell them what they just dreamt. And that's that's what they were. uh, That's what the king had demanded. His demands required a wisdom that was far beyond what human beings could ever find. But and there's a great contrast between what Daniel and his companions, uh, uh, how they responded and the way that the advisors of the king responded because immediate panic 
came into the hearts of the advisors because they came to the end of themselves. I love what Daniel would later say to the king. King, what you asked for us to do is not possible for human beings. It cannot happen. But there is a God in heaven. And that's where the wisdom for your desire to know what you dreamt. God knows your dreams. And I want you to stop and camp on that for a couple of seconds. And I want you to understand that what you are thinking right now, God perceives. Even though there are billions on this planet with you, he perceives your every thought. His mind, his intellect, his wisdom is so far beyond what we can even wrap our minds around that it is astounding. Wisdom, true wisdom resides in the heart and in the mind of the Lord God himself. As the Babylonians were theist or polytheist, I should say, they believed in many gods. And they, uh, the, one of the things that the advisors cried out to the king is, verse 11, what the king asked is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among men. Well, they believed in many gods, but these gods of theirs, they had no access to them. These gods of theirs didn't care about them. These gods of theirs just did whatever it was that they wanted to do. And they didn't dwell with people. But that was so, so much of a contrast to the God that Daniel and the God that the his friends had. Because they knew they served a God who does care. They knew that they served a God who is accessible. They served a God whose wisdom understood even the dream of, of Nebuchadnezzar. In fact... It would be revealed that God put the dream there. It all originated with God. All the wisdom that our God has. And he is a God in heaven who reveals the mysteries. You see, they served a God that could do that. They served our God. That's the God we serve today. When Daniel stood before the king, he was able to look him in the eye and tell him, There is a God in heaven. And this God has the wisdom to reveal these kinds of things to me. So in a time of crisis, Daniel and his friends wisely did not panic. They found with wisdom intact, the Bible says, a way to buy the time, if you will, for them to pray. And they began to pray to the Lord God. And they did so because they realized that if this was going to come to any of them, it had to come from the one who knew. And I want you to just again, let that resonate in your mind today. God is so great. That he perceives your thoughts. God is so great. And his wisdom is so extensive. That he knows your dreams. And I know no other way. To know those things. Except through God. True wisdom. Comes from God. The God of heaven alone. I remind you. That although Daniel. And his friends were identified in scripture. As ten times wiser than the other wise men of, of uh, that kingdom because they had been taken captive and God had blessed them, that they still needed to find that wisdom in God, not themselves. It all came from the Lord God. In order to avoid execution, God was going to have to step up and do what only God could do. They didn't know the interpretation. They didn't know what he had dreamt, but they knew a God who knew it all. And I love the fact that God has that wisdom. And I suggest this to you again. And I, I assert this to you. You see wisdom. Is greater than knowledge. You know you can have a lot of knowledge. And folks. We're going to be looking at this. The fact is that there are some believers. Who really know the Bible. There are some people who really can quote scripture. There are some people even. Who aren't. They, they, they're not necessarily a believer and they know enough Bible that they can try to trip you up. They have knowledge, but wisdom is greater than knowledge. And so thank God we serve a God where it all resides. Wisdom. God is the source of that kind of wisdom. And I love what first Corinthians chapter one, verse 20 says, and I'm reading it to you from the amplified version. 
Where is the wise man, the philosopher? Where is the scribe, the scholar? Where is the investigator, the the logician, the debater of this present time and age? Has not God shown up the nonsense and the folly of this world's wisdom? Elsewhere in scripture, it tells us this, that the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. So here's how I like to imagine the, the interpretation of that verse. Find, find the person, the human being with the greatest mind on the planet. Somebody who can, can maybe do um, uh, math equations that, we, <laughs> that would boggle our mind the first second they begin to write them out. Somebody who has the capacity of great memory. Find the wisest, most, most brilliant thing ever thought or said, and that's like breathing to God. God is so much beyond our wisdom. And he possesses it all. He has absolutely perfect understanding. In fact, the scriptures clearly tell us that God knows the beginning to the end all at once, all the time. He has wisdom. The second thing that I, well, let me just share this very quickly. There are no boundaries to God's wisdom. He's the source. I love Proverbs 3.19 that tells us, by wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge the deeps were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. It's a wonderful passage of scripture. The second observation is true wisdom is given to people when they seek God. If you need wisdom, you need to go to God for it. That's what I'm saying. True wisdom is given to people when we seek God. People get in terrible messes and they put them, their, their confidence in their own ability to dig themselves out. I was talking last night of how husbands are really good at this mess of digging a deeper hole. Okay, if you're a husband, you're going to relate to this. Husband says A to wife and and. And oops, he didn't think it out very well. He said something. It's like he has a shovel and he just dug a whole great big, big old thing and he stepped right into it. And then what do husbands do sometimes when the wife begins to call him on it? We get the shovel out. Why do we do this? And we dig it even deeper. We we follow a dumb joke with an even dumber joke. Okay, (laughs) and we do it. Don't shake your head, buddy. I know you do it. All right. Sharon just set him straight. I've seen Joe in action. Okay, he's got one of the biggest shovels in our church and then you dig another you say a joke the the wife is frustrated and and we say another joke and it's dumber than the first and we just dig and next thing i know i'm neck deep and darlene's really not happy with me it's because i have confidence i can talk my way out well there are times husbands the best thing to do is become mannequin man don't move don't talk just wait for the storm to pass Stop digging. Stop making it worse. Stop trying to get yourself out of trouble. And let me just say to you that we people sometimes are so prideful and we think that we can work our way out. We can pull our own bootstraps and we're going to get our way out of our problems. We're going to figure this out. Don't ask me to stop the car and ask for directions. I'm going to find my way around somewhere. It's out here. It's that kind of thing. And I guess that was before GPS. But anyway... Sometimes what happens is people will make one poor choice and then another and then another and they don't consult the Lord. Christians do this and we just mess up. And sometimes we're afraid of what God will tell us because it's wise and we really don't want that. So we just do what we want to do. And then we get in a big old mess. And then when we are really in trouble, we holler to God. And that's, that's Jonah. Very good, brother. You're right. And that's the kind of thing we do. So people sometimes do that kind of thing, even in the face of precious promises from the word of God, that he will guide us. Certainly Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. It's all done, darling. You can just set it down. Thank you, sweetie. You're so good. All right. It's the best wife I ever had. I love her. I love her. She's the best wife I ever had. Yeah, no. Yep, I just I just pulled out my shovel. Yeah. But but Proverbs three, five, and six is a wonderful, wonderful promise, but so many times we make foolish choices and we try to get ourselves out of issues without consulting God, and our troubles multiply. But thank God God is still merciful. 
And he's still poised to be accessible to us when we are ready to say, okay, God, uncle, (laughs) I messed up and I need your help. How do I do this and what do I do next? God is so good. Look at Daniel and his friends. The Lord heard their pleas for mercy and he supernaturally provided the answer. And it utterly amazed Nebuchadnezzar. When these answers came to him, we read this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel. And he paid him honor. And he ordered that an offering, an incense be presented to him. I love what the king said here. He came around. He realized something. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods. He is the Lord of kings. And he is the revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. You want to know why? For a while the king was trying to rely on the knowledge of his wise men. But wisdom is greater than knowledge. And it was God's wisdom that was given to Daniel when Daniel saw it. He went to God. He prayed for wisdom. There's a lesson in this for us, is it not? And it's rather obvious. Isn't it time, especially we who follow Christ, isn't it time that we consult the Lord? Isn't it time we seek his wisdom? You know what? When somebody is very unkind to us, we talked about this in Sunday school. When we are mistreated by someone, too often we take matters into our own hands. I don't think it's an accident that Jesus said, instead, why don't you pray for your enemy? Why? Because wisdom comes when you seek the Lord. And God will show you what you should say or do. When we just go off on our own, when we just say, you you hurt me, I'm coming back twice as strong. When we do that, then all that happens is we make a big mess for everything. It hurts us at least as much as it hurts someone else. But when we pause and obey God and we pray for them, it will diffuse the bomb. And there's wisdom in that. It doesn't always make sense to us, but it's the best. God's ways are higher than our ways. Your inclination, if somebody hurts you, if you're, if you're like pretty much every human being that walks the face of this earth, is to hurt them back. Amen, oh my, or ouch. It's the truth. It's who we are. It's how we're geared. If, you, if you're driving down the road and somebody isn't very nice to you on the road, your inclination is to horn cuss them or something. Do something. That's your inclination. And, but if we follow the wisdom of God, God will defuse that bomb. And it changes the outcome for us even. And so that's what Daniel discovered. Daniel and his friends discovered. Finally, let me make this observation. A relationship with God manifests ultimate wisdom. A relationship with God manifests ultimate wisdom. Listen, Daniel and his friends received wisdom from God because they knew God. This wasn't the first time they ever prayed to him. When they prayed to him and said, Lord, we're in trouble, will you help us? This wasn't their first time to pray to the Lord God. They were in a relationship with him. They had prayed to the Lord a lot. They really loved the Lord. They really trusted in the Lord. They really relied on the Lord. And they knew where to find their wisdom that they needed because they knew God. And that's the outcry. That's how it's manifested in the life of a believer. If, if we live a day-to-day relationship with the Lord, we're going to be granted access to the wisdom of the Lord. I'm quite confident that they had prayed to him often. You'll remember who the friends of Daniel were. Maybe you will know their Babylonian names a little bit better. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They ended up thrown in a fiery furnace. Now, what they did did not make sense to anybody standing around. There was an an edict issued that when music would play, they were to bow to this certain king and worship him like they would worship a god. And when they said, no, we can't do that. Now, a lot of people in the kingdom said, what's wrong with you? That's stupid. That's the knowledge of the world. But wisdom is greater than knowledge. And they said, we would rather lose our lives doing the right thing and not dishonoring a God we know. We know this God. And let me tell you about this God, O King. Even if he doesn't save us, you throw us in that furnace, he's able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow to you. 
And that was wisdom that came out of their hearts. And because of their wisdom, they got to meet the Son of God in the middle of flames and not get burned up and not even smell like a smoky fire. Because of the wisdom. Wisdom is greater than knowledge. You'll remember what happened to Daniel. Daniel was put in a very similar situation. And he was, there was an edict not to pray to any other god, but pray to the, the king. These arrogant kings. No wonder why, and I'm, I'm going on a side trail. No wonder why God said to the Israelites, I don't want you to have a king. I want to be your king. They foolishly said, no, give us a king. But anyway, that's way off in, uh, on a beaten path. But these arrogant kings, and this king had issued this decree, when the music is played, you bow before the idol that looks like me. And Daniel refused to do so. And in fact, in order to trap him, the people who knew him and hated him and were jealous of him knew exactly where to find Daniel when he would be praying. Why? Because he knew God. And he had a relationship with God. And every day, Daniel, three times a day, was the same spot praying to the Lord. And Daniel gets thrown into a lion's den. And because of wisdom, it didn't make any sense. A lot of us, and let's be honest, a lot of us would be tempted to at least say, you know what, I'll still pray, I just won't bow. You know, I'll, 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 I'll pray, but I'll just do it really quietly. You'll do like I used to do when I was a coward in school. For a period of time, I was so afraid that somebody might see me saying grace. And so I would carry my tray and I would in my mind, thank you, Lord, for the suit. Oh, thank you for those potatoes. And that was a cowardly way to do it. I was ashamed to just let people see that I love the Lord. I'm, I'm ashamed that I did that, but I was cowardly. And I'm saying to you, there was a wisdom in Daniel when he said, I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to bow and I'm not going to worship. And, and I am going to pray. I always pray. I know my God. And so what I am saying to you is real wisdom was manifested. It might not have made any sense to the other wise people in the kingdom that they would just spend the time that maybe they're, that why, why don't we get together and plan? Why don't we get together and figure out how we can convince the king to change his mind? They didn't do any of that. They prayed. They simply sought God. Why did they do that? Because they know God. And they know there's a wisdom in God that no one else has. And they knew that only God would save them. So they prayed. And they sought the Lord. What about us? Do we tend to ascribe to the wisdom of this world? It's not even real wisdom. True wisdom comes from God. Or do we seek Him? Do we have a personal relationship with the Lord God? Do you know Him today? Do you seek him and do you seek to know him better? Do you seek him daily in your prayer life or just when it's convenient or maybe when you get in trouble? Do we have high enough regard for the Lord's ways? Do we know that he, he has told us that his ways are higher than our ways? And do we regard them above every other way? Do we consult him for the major decisions of our life? Do we trust him with all of our hearts? And lean not on our own understanding. Do we acknowledge him in all of our ways? You see, real wisdom is a result of a personal relationship with Jesus. <clears throat> if a person is going to have true wisdom, it's going to happen through their relationship with the Lord. That's where real wisdom is found. I have to tell you, I've been a pastor for quite a little while now. And over my days of having the honor to pastor, I've done... Uh, a real big hunk of funerals. And I will tell you that there have been times when I presided over funerals over someone who has been successful by the standards, at least of the world. They've achieved rank and notoriety and wealth. And I presided over such funerals. And there would be hundreds of people in the room and some would get up and tout the the qualities of this person's life and talk about, you know, what a success they were. But I would have a grieving heart in some of these services because I also realized that they never bowed their knee to Christ and never received him. And I have presided over in funerals where hardly anybody showed up. And by the world standard, the person was sort of a, a non, non-person in the eyes of so many in the world. They never achieved any great success by the measure of the world. They never rose to notoriety. And, and sometimes the room would be almost empty. 
And I have presided over those funerals and been able to tell the people who were present that the person who just died has succeeded. And they had great wisdom because they are in the presence of their Lord and Savior. They made the wisest choice of their lives. They received Christ and they were ready to go and face their eternity. Listen to me. One day the Bible is very clear that this is going to happen. All of us will stand before him. Every one of us. Every one of us will give an account. And I promise you, the person with wisdom will be the one to whom Jesus looks and smiles and says, Well done, you good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the world. And the people who will be the fools on that day will be the, the sometimes educated, arrogant people who, as the Bible says, are fools in their hearts because they said there is no God. The academics who just are determined that there is no God. They'll be the foolish people. They won't be the wise people. And that's what will happen to so many people. Because they didn't want to acknowledge God in their lives. So when it boils down to judgment day. The wise are those who acknowledge God in heaven. There is a God in heaven. And he reveals the mysteries of our hearts. That's what the scripture says. Those who will be shown manifested in their life that they are wise will be people who have acknowledged the Lord God and who have followed him. Mike Rouse was president of Exodus Ministries based in Dallas, Texas. He was at a men's prayer breakfast one morning and he closed his prayer breakfast uh, uh, message with this particular story about a friend of his who was a missionary and in fact she was married to a friend of his and her husband had just recently passed away she had finished up her responsibilities for a while on the mission field and she was back home ministering in various places in the united states on deputation raising funds to go back and just to interrupt myself for a second please understand that when we have missionaries in our church who are are telling their story and they're raising money uh, so that they can go, that that is a faith venture and they are heroic for what they do. They give up so much so that they can go on a field and follow their call. And I love missionaries, okay? I have a great regard. So already this woman has won my highest respect. And she had lost her husband. It's been an exhausting trip for her. And she's on her way back to Dallas. She she climbed aboard a Southwest Airlines flight. And her problem was that she arrived late to the airport and late to the gate. And if you've ever flown on Southwest, you do know that that's a problem. You see, you get your seats first come, first served. You don't get them assigned on a Southwest flight. So she just had to take whichever uh, one she could find. And it was a very full flight. She found one. And seated at the window was a businessman. He had his Wall Street journal on, his, his nice suit. And he was just seated, sitting there and he was reading his journal. Uh, sort of like, okay, don't bother me kind of guy. You know, I just want to fly home. And the missionary was fine with that. The middle seat was vacant. And on the aisle seat, there was a little girl who had a large placard uh, uh, around, a lanyard around her neck. And she had Down syndrome. It was very obvious that she had Down syndrome. And that was the seat that was left. So the missionary smiled at the little girl and made her way in past the tag hanging around her. And she sat down between the two people. Missionary pulled out a magazine and to read as the taxi, uh, uh, the plane was taxiing away from the terminal. And no sooner, sooner were they airborne than the little girl poked the missionary, uh, poked her and and. And was looking at her. And, and so the lady said, yes, sweetheart. And she says, ma'am, did you brush your teeth today? And the woman smiled and said, yes, honey, I sure did. I brushed my teeth today. Well, that's good, the little girl replied, because they'll fall out if you don't. <laughs> and they're flying. And a few minutes later, she gets poked by the lady, little girl again. Ma'am, do you smoke? And the lady smiled and said, no, honey, I, I've never smoked. Oh, that's good, the little girl replied, because smoking will kill you. <laughs> a few minutes later, they're, they're flying. They're, they're, they're still ascending a little bit, and she poked her again. And she looked at the missionary, and she said, Ma'am, do you know Jesus? 
And the missionary smiled and nodded. Yes, dear, I sure do know Jesus, honey. And the girl said, that's good because you'll go to hell if you don't know Jesus. (laughs) Now the plane's at cruising altitude and they're flying around and there's a few moments of silence and then the little girl poked the lady again. And this time she pointed to the businessman by the window and she says, about your friend, ma'am, did he brush his teeth this morning? (laughs) And so the lady said, well, I don't know, but I'll ask him. And so she turned to the man and she said, excuse me, sir, the little girl on the aisle wants to know if you brushed your teeth today. He looked up and he saw, you know, uh, who it was that was really asking. And he smiled and he says, yes, I did. You can you can tell her that I brushed my teeth today and told the little girl and the little girl just leaned over and says, that's good because they'll fall out if you don't. They're flying a little bit longer and she poked the lady again. And she said, about your friend there, does your friend smoke, ma'am? And she says, I don't know, honey, but I'll find out for you. So she said, excuse me, sir, the, the little girl in the aisle wants to know if you smoke. And his answer was, and he smiled, he said, no, that's one nasty habit I haven't taken up. And the lady informed the little girl the man's reply. And the little girl smiled and said, that's good because smoking will kill you. And <laughs> sure enough, they're flying along and you know what happened. She pokes the the missionary again and she says to her, does your friend know Jesus? And the lady says, honey, I don't know, but I'll certainly ask him for you. And when she turned, a man had tears tracking down his cheeks. And she asked him the question and through tears, the man confessed, no, I don't know him, but I sure would like to. And for the next 15 minutes, that missionary was able to explain to the man how to know Jesus Christ. And that man came to Christ there on that flight and embarked on a relationship with the Lord. You see, wisdom is greater than knowledge. A lot of people would look at a little girl with Down syndrome asking such elementary questions and say, boy, she sure doesn't have a lot of knowledge. (laughs) But oh, the wisdom of that little girl. In her innocence, it was just exactly what that man needed. It took that kind of a a query to get the man to turn and realize that there is a God in heaven. Some of us might say, well, if I were God and a little Down syndrome girl came to Christ, I'd heal her. I'd give her a sound mind. But God knows what he's doing. You see, wisdom is greater than knowledge. And God knows how to use every human being. What is our excuse? Wisdom is greater than knowledge. And God gives it freely. Without showing favoritism. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask the Father. And if Father won't show favoritism, he will give it to us. And I want to ask you, do you have the wisdom in your life to know Jesus Christ? You have a personal relationship with the God who is in heaven, who can reveal even what you dream. Do you understand? Do you have the wisdom to understand that God is so much greater than the man upstairs? There's a wisdom in knowing God. There's a wisdom in seeking God. And there is a wisdom in living for God. Do you possess that? Are you in personal relationship with the Lord God? We're going to close this um, message by singing a hymn. I know some of you may not know what a hymn is. But but it is an older song that was written to bar tunes years ago. And this is one of my favorite hymns. They have beautiful, beautiful lyrics. And this one could not be better for me. And I'd like to close our time by singing this. Just before we do, I'm going to ask you to bow your head, close your eyes, and not look up for just a moment. Is there anyone in this room who would say to me, Pastor Ken, like that businessman, I need a relationship with Christ. I don't have Christ, but I need him. And you'll lift your hand where I can see it and say, today I am turning to Jesus Christ. Let's sing this song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Thank you.
my Father. There is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not Thy compassions, they fail not. As Thou hast been, Thou forever will be. Great is Thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand have provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see, all I have needed, thy hand have provided, great is thy faithfulness. strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. Oh, let's lift this up. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning New mercies I see All I have needed Thy hand have provided Great is thy faithfulness Lord What we just sang has such great wisdom And I pray you have wisdom to see it in there. God's faithfulness is so great.